G'day, my name's Paul Wade. Welcome to Where Do We Begin? I'm the best adjunct teller in the Southern Hemisphere. It has been confirmed by Harper and Lockie, and it's an absolute joy to talk to them. Thanks for that, Paul. My name is Harper and my co-host is Lockie. How are you, Lockie? Good, mate. I've just been laughing in stitches. He's a very funny man, Paul, but also a very talented soccer player. You know, 84 caps for Australia, captain the country. It was an absolute honour to have him onto the podcast. Yeah, yeah, an absolute icon of Australian football. And like you said, it was an honour. It was a great guest to have on the show. Should we just get straight into our chat with him? Let's dive in. And now I'm delighted to welcome this guest onto the podcast. He's an absolute legend of football in Australia. He was captain of the Socceroos for a fair few years, and he had 84 caps for the team. In fact, he goes by the name of Paul Wade. Welcome to the show, Paul. Thank you, boys. It's always good to see good-looking roosters. Unfortunately, you are neither, but that's okay. No problem. <laughs> yes. Sorry, Paul, mate. I uh, didn't do my skincare routine this morning, but I'll make sure I put that <laughs> on my checklist. Um, I always like to start with the tough questions. Yeah. Um, how are you going today? What, what have you been up to recently? I've been shopping, mate, but don't you, don't you worry about it. I was at Bunnings picking up all the grass that used to be $12 a metre, for three because it had gone off a little bit. Score. Well done, me. Mate, that, oh, that's a little bit of nugget. That's a little nugget of wisdom there from you, yeah. old, old Paulie boy. But my sources have <laughs> so we have sources all throughout Australia and in Sydney. So we like to do a good solid background check. And th- we also heard you went to Kmart today. That's true. That. Only because I've been married so long that you can't afford to get divorced. Oh. So you may as well just do it. Yeah. It only takes them. Only takes eight or nine hours to walk around Kmart with my wife. And once you've dug deep and you've done those, you've invested that time and money buying $7 pants, you just think, that's why I've been going out with her for so long. Mate, happy wife, happy life. That's what I always say and that's what my dad always says. Correct. So mum hasn't been happy for a while. Nah. (laughs) Now, mate. We were speaking about Kmart, but I don't believe there are any Kmarts back in the UK. You actually grew up there uh, till about 11, that's right, yeah? Yeah, yeah, I grew up in the uh, – I was born just outside Manchester. I lived a long, long time in St Helens, big rugby league town, and I lived in the only street they played football, which is why I love the game. Came out here when I was, I was 11. My dad was a 10-pound pom because back in the day they used to have to bring um, specialists in different – areas out to Australia just to help us get a kick along and fortunately I was part of that and wow I'm glad I look back now I I could have been in jail if I had stayed in England it was a pretty tough area I came from. You you were just a young kid when uh, England won the World Cup about four years old if my calculations are correct so would have been pretty big football uh, well for the 60s would have been massive over there just after the World Cup win. Yeah, you know, I never played for a club until I got to Australia. That's how big it was because all you did was play in the street and maybe for the school if you were lucky. You didn't play for clubs. That's where you learnt your football. And I almost... mean streets of Manchester? Uh, Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm a big Liverpool supporter only because my dad supported Man U and I thought, (laughs) right, when you hate your dad, who do you support? (laughs) I know, the biggest rival ever for Man United, Liverpool. (laughs) 
Jeez, Manchester City not up there? No, although they were a good team back in the 60s and 70s. That scares me saying that. In the 60s and 70s, jeez, I'm old. You don't realise. <laughs> hey, mate, don't worry. You don't look a day older than 65. Score. Okay. <laughs> Paul has just you walked out. so lucky I've come back. <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. Uh, there were no oil of you land back in the day, let me tell you that. There was none of this. Like you boys putting the creams on and the stuff in your hair. Yeah. <laughs> so why did you move over here? So was it just like searching for a new beginning type of thing with your parents or did you have yeah. any idea what was going to happen when you came over here? Did you know where Australia was? Yeah. When they told us we were going to Australia and Melbourne in particular, I looked on a map and I was right into swimming then as well as football. I looked on a map and I thought, I said to people, I'm going to swim to that little island below Melbourne because it doesn't look very far on the map. Jeez, Tassie. Let's be honest, really well. it wasn't the distance that stopped you from swimming to Tassie. It's you didn't want to go there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's how um, in tune, how much I knew about Australia and how much I knew about the world. Do you know what I mean? Because right. you're, you're 10 years old. The most important thing is who's got the football after school. That was now, it. Yeah. Now, did you have to break any girls' hearts moving from England to Australia? Because I'm sure back when you were 10, you would have been no, a very no, popular man. I didn't get my first girlfriend till I was 20. I married her when she was 21. Oh, that's, yeah. a be- that's a beautiful love story there. Thank still, you. Still with her to te- today. Yeah. Correct. Correct. Exactly. Yeah. No, I had a face full of pim- pimples, boys. I wasn't good-looking rooster like you are. So I was happy to go to bed early on a Saturday night. I was... Very happy to stay away from girls and start training. Maybe that's why I did what I did. So yeah, if you've got if you've got pimples, celebrate. <laughs> great, great words of advice to have there, Paul. And I was just going to say, you do have a swimmer's body, so I reckon you could have swum to Tasmania. <laughs> so yeah, so I guess so. Growing up in Melbourne, where, whereabouts? Because obviously it's a pretty big place. Whereabouts yeah. were you based? Yeah. My dad was an electrical engineer, so we came out for Pilkington's ACI Glass, which is in Dandenong, Dandenong South, actually. Beautiful part of the world. Yeah, so he, that's God's where country. he got... Hey? Exactly, God's country. I like God's that. Country. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, so that's where I grew up, Dandenong, Hallam, Dufton, played for Dufton, played for Dandenong City. That's where I um, played my football. Uh, there was nothing spectacular was just kicking the ball around in the street. In fact, no, I didn't kick the ball around in the street very often because um, I remember kicking the ball. It was an oval ball. I didn't have a clue what it was, but um, somebody shouted handball. <laughs> I went, bullshit, was not. I never touched it with my hand. I had it at my feet because we know what a handball is now, don't yeah. we? But when I was uh, 10, 11 years of age, I had no idea what I'd come to. Yeah, so what was, like, do you mind me pl- saying soccer or do you, would you prefer me to say football? Yeah, you could call it whatever you like. Call it whatever you like for the people who are watching and listening. All right, perfect. So whatever. after thousands of listeners, I'll, I'll go with soccer. So what was soccer like when you started in Australia? Yeah. Was it a yeah. popular sport? Because I've really got no, I've got no idea. I don't yeah. have much idea about soccer now, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, you weren't even thought of then, were you? No, no. back in the day. Yeah, it was soccer. Um, I do remember an AFL because, you know, in Melbourne at that time you had zones. 
So we were in the North Melbourne zone, right? So North Melbourne picked or at least promoted their football club in the southeastern suburbs and they sent a, um, a North Melbourne player along to the school. Now, I'm standing there and he kicked it from one end of the ground to the other. I mean, I look at the oval now and it's probably about 30 yards long, 40, <laughs> but on that day... What's that in the metric in system? That big, yeah, he was massive and he kicked it beyond uh, the horizon. So it just shows you that the influence that adults can have on young kids, you might not think so, but it is so powerful. I've never forgot that moment. Oh, completely. I 100% agree. I feel like in a somewhat different version, like even like university, I feel like a lot of people, they go on to study that university subject because they like that teacher. So, yeah, adults have such a major impact yeah. on yeah, students. Indeed. Yeah. Um, like back, back when you were growing up here in the kind of 70s and 80s, was it still like, – was it uh, at all – what it is today, like, because I know it was kind of the wog ball thing. It was just the ethics yeah. kind of playing, and you you were the English kid just coming yeah. over when you were eleven. So, what was it yeah. like? Uh, were there any like Aussie born and bred kids playing it at all? Uh, in a word, no. They were all Italian, Greek, Croat, you name it. Because uh, Dad had come out here. They were second generation uh, wogs, as we used to call them. I was a pommy wog. But you know what? The teacher, you know how you send parents now to listen to the kids how to read? Well, the teacher used to do everything back in the day. And I got to do my reading to the teacher more than anybody else and I found out it was because she loved to hear my pommy accent. Mate, you do have you a know? cracking accent. I love yeah, it. Yeah, right. I thought I must be bad at reading because she keeps asking me to come over and read to her. Well, Hopefully it only wasn't... during school hours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although you don't know in Dandenong. <laughs> yeah. Well, exactly right. Yeah, it is Dandenong. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, we were all Greeks, Massos. There were pommy clubs, uh, Scots. Um, yeah, you, you couldn't get money out of Scots and pop and, and Poms because their pockets were too deep. You know, if you had a Greek club or an Italian club, yeah, mate, have this, you must have this and this. They give you money for everything. But with the Poms, tight asses, their pockets are that deep and their hands only go down that far. Oh, oh I'm sorry, no. you can't reach the money. Can't mate, get that, it. Oh, th- those are yeah. my mates. Like, like the yeah. mate I was just talking to you about off air, they had to return that ring, mate. I don't reckon I've ever seen him shout me a drink on a night out. It's always yeah. the blokes, blokes with all the money. Nah, mate, sorry, left left my wallet at home. The blokes <laughs> can, who had to yeah. couldn't cover their bus fare yeah. to the pub. Oh yeah, mate, here we go. It's my you can have the super beer. It's the only thing I can afford, but it's for you. It, it happens like that, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's I live with that. Well, maybe not for too long, you know, because a lot of once they once you become mates. They forget that you were born in England and they don't really care about your accent. But, yeah, in those formative years, you were a wog, you were a pommy wog, you were a pufta. You know, there's all of those things that were going on. But we just accepted it. Uh, we didn't like it. You know, the, there was always the bully in the playground and he was usually the biggest. There's no bullies like that now because they do it all online. That's a completely different topic. But that's what we grew up with. You know, and, and we just accepted it. So I I just played. My mum dragged me down to a football club, to tell you the truth, because when we first got here, even in Melbourne, it was 25 degrees. That's really hot when you think about how north St Helens is. 
and there were big, massive spiders, huntsmen, birds flying in the cl- in the sky that weren't in cages. <laughs> it was like, wow, this is an amazing place. And my mum went, you are going to football. <laughs> and that was it. Thankfully she did. But I right. knew nothing about the Socceroos. Yeah. They went to the World Cup in 74. I had absolutely no idea we, about our national team. I didn't care. My world was right here in Dandenong on that day. I'm sure that yeah. your mum also made sure that you swipped, swapped and swipe all that sunscreen. That's a, that's a very important part of the education oh, yeah. about moving to Australia. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the World Cup there, actually, because I was just going to ask, obviously, uh, Australia qualifying, Lockie might not know this, but Australia qualified for the first World Cup in 1974. Um, didn't qualify for another one for 32 years, actually, but first mm-hmm. one in 1974. And that was, yeah, obviously being the first one ever, a monumental achievement. You didn't know much about it, clearly, but do you reckon it was a big thing in the newspapers or anything from what you know now? Yeah, absolutely. It was It was huge because... And mind you, let's look at the way they used to qualify. They played, I don't know how many dozen games in Southeast Asia, in Asia, against minnows that in the middle of nowhere on crap grounds, they had to work so hard to get to the World Cup. I haven't seen any paper reports about what the fanfare that happened when they did qualify, but amongst the football community, I've been told that was a big issue. Because a lot of those guys were part-time footballers. In fact, even when I played, I never played professionally. I always had a job. I was a draftsman drawing air conditioning uh, for the Rialto Tower in Melbourne, for example. And then I'd ask the boss on Wednesday if I could have Friday off because we were playing Brazil on Sunday. And and that's just the way it was. So you can imagine with these guys, they had to wash their own gear and they were lucky if they got a tracksuit. It's quite amazing what they did. Man, that, yeah, yeah, is that a big reason that you never went to Europe like some players would? Like just kind of having that uh, comfortable existence, like staying here in Victoria, being able to do your job as a draftsman, like you said, just a more comfortable lifestyle than going away to big, scary Europe? Yeah, absolutely. Even though I came from England, I remember thinking, why would I leave this? Anyway, I was as slow as a wet week. I... T- Cream turned quicker than I did. <laughs> I was so slow that I thought, you know what, to go over there in the freezing cold and the rain when they really don't want you there, the other players, because you're taking their job. Really? I came to the realisation very, very quickly that why would you give up what I'm doing, uh, enjoying life, for the chance to do that? Because there wasn't a lot of money back in the day. Um for me, and maybe this is my being short-sighted, but my world was today's training session, tomorrow's game, um, the night out with the, the wives and girlfriends. That was me. I never got caught up in the, wow, I want to be a multimillionaire or I want to be world famous or I want to be. No, my world was right here, right now, and that's how, how I live my whole life rightly or wrongly. I wouldn't change anything, though. That's really interesting. And you might be swallowing land, but as we established previously, you've got a swimmer's body. So in the water, that's where you thrive. (laughs) But just moving on, so you made your National Soccer League debut for the Green Gully Cavaliers. Great team name, by the way, in 1984. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. 
was green. That, these are the days when we were Sheila's Wogs and Poofters. So it was Green Gully Ajax, but they were Ajax, I thought because they were Dutch, but no, they were Maltese. So, yeah, we used to play against Greek clubs, Italian clubs. There was a, a local derby with the other Maltese club down the, the road and they hated us and we hated them. Well, as far as club people go, the players got on famously. But um, the club, we used to have to go to their ground for an away game on a bus because if we took our cars, they would have smashed it. Um, it was really a horrible place to be off the park but just great on it. Um, and, yeah, the only reason I got a gig in the old National Soccer League is because a guy called Jimmy Rooney, who played 99 times for Australia, got a job coaching in the National League and he played with me for two seasons in the old State League. So if he wasn't there and got that job, I would never have got to the National League. It's funny how things happen, eh? You just happen to be in the right place, at the right time, and that was my lucky break. Yeah, yeah. Um, you mentioned some of those big kind of uh, – because obviously big uh, – like all the clubs had uh, ethnic names and the ethnic fans of each country, uh, for each club. But you played for South Melbourne, of course, the Greek club. What were games like, uh, for example, Preston, Macedonia, mm-hmm. like – and was it intimidating to go to places like that? Mm-hmm. Um, was it, yeah, scary? Yeah, it was at times. Again, all the players got on famously. We were all mates. In fact, some of us were soccer routine mates. So, yes, it had to be competitive because you were playing for the Greeks or you were playing for the Italians, but you didn't hate each other like they did. Um, There there was times where at the old Olympic Park uh, in Melbourne, there was one set of fans running around the other side of the ground to bash the living daylights out of the others while we were playing. Really? In fact, at South Melbourne, you mentioned um, Preston Macedonia then. Yep. The yep. Greeks, a lot of them wouldn't pay to watch us at their ground because it meant giving them $10 yeah. to get in. It's, we're not giving you anything. We'll wait outside to chant and cheer, uh, but we're not paying $10 to watch you play. Well, didn't happen with everybody, but there were just some that were dead set so against other uh, nationalities. Did you ever feel unsafe playing <clears throat> playing for the Greek team? I guess going to um going to Preston, like because of what the fans could have done to you. Or did they abuse you over the sidelines? Like, it sounds really intimidating. Oh, it was. You know, there was sometimes where between the touchline and the dressing room, there was just a cyclone fence that covered you. So as you walked past, they could spit at you. It always it didn't happen all the time, don't get me wrong. It would, I don't know, in a season it might happen once or twice maybe, but it, it just left you with this, wow, this is really horrible. But, uh, again, we just we did it because that's what we're used to. Uh, yeah, and most fans, as long as they saw that you were trying for their club, accepted so many things, wins, losses, draws, as long as you were giving your everything for their club, they didn't mind. So what was the standard of the competition like back then in the National Soccer League? Was it a high standard, like especially maybe compared to nowadays with it now becoming yeah. the A-League? Yeah, it's interesting comment that. I think that it rages still about mm. back in the day. I use back in the day like you would not believe. 
everything back in the day for me because it was far better then than it is now. But unfortunately, I don't think realistically you can compare the two because I don't know. I was at Western Sydney Stadium um, a couple of nights ago to watch the Wallabies against Argentina. Yeah, yeah, and I I was stood next to the the touchline. I was in the in the stand, and I looked over. It is a carpet. An mm. absolute carpet. Amazing. Now, I'd like to see even rugby rugby players just run around on the mud heaps that <laughs> we used to. So that's why I'd say you can't really compare it. Um, I was arguing with somebody the other day. Yeah, sure, you're fitter, technically, tactically sort of better, but I wonder when it got really muddy and it was raining and the, was, the wind was blowing at that angle when you really, really had to work so hard to get a result, I don't know whether they have to do that now. They have more pressure on them, that pressure of you've got to win because it's all about money. But do they have that, you know what, if you're going to win, you're going to have to dig as deep as you've ever done before. Um, that's just the way it was. And I, as I say, back in the day, because I didn't know any different, we didn't mind. Yeah, really. Well, was, so it's what, going to be hard yeah. to argue one side or another. What was the support staff that you had like? Because like, obviously nowadays they have, you know, dietitians, oh, psychologists, coaches, boot studders, um, oh. basically everybody under the sun. Like it's crazy. Well, what did you have back in the day? Yeah. We had, well, with the Socceroos? Oh, just, yeah, Socceroos. Oh, yeah. Either. Both. All right, let's talk South Melbourne, Hellas, Brunswick, Juventus, uh, we had um, a physio and a gear steward and a coach and maybe an assistant coach and that was it. There was nobody else. And that was with the national team, although they used to take a doctor uh, with us uh, on away trips overseas. So, yeah, that was it. And you used to get into your room after a training session and you would get changed, say, just before lunch, you got back to the hotel, take your gear off, just throw it outside the door so that the gear steward could walk straight down the corridor and pick everybody's gear up. There was no getting changed at the, the training ground. We used to catch cabs to training. <laughs> it was, But we didn't mind, boys, Yeah, because we weren't at work. We had real jobs that we didn't have to go to for a couple of weeks while we played for our country. It was yeah. just yeah. wow. Yeah. Before before we dig really deep into the soccer is I, I kinda want to get your opinion on uh the state of like the A-League these days and especially su- the support because yeah uh, you mentioned the Western Sydney Stadium before. Um it's uh, when Western Sydney Wanderers were back at uh, Parramatta, the original Parramatta Stadium, it was bouncing uh, every game, Pat selling out every game pretty much. Uh, like you look at the ACL final, the first leg they had there in 2014, I think it was, and it was yeah. rocking. But uh, they had that first game of the season last year back in the new stadium against Sydney, the derby. That was yeah. all right. But then yeah. since then, it's been half empty most games. So. Yeah. So do you what, live what? in Sydney, Harper? <laughs> yeah, well, I know a bit about it, but I was going to um, say you've done your homework. But as that's, we said, our sources are our sources are everywhere, Paul. Mate, <laughs> if they knew you had came up, mate, they know all this stuff. I don't yeah. know why you're surprised, but <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll move the on. League, mate. I, I feel a bit. Hurt. I'm a bit offended. I'm a bit hurt that you didn't. <laughs> but look, let's move on. Let's move on. 
calm down. That's it. <laughs> no, good on you, Lockie. That's that's professional. We're live to air, and you've been very professional. Yeah. What do you make of the like, FFA's handling of uh, active support? Because maybe what five or six years ago now they really uh really cracked down on the hooliganism and um yeah. because of all those headlines you had in the herald yeah. sun and the daily telegraph and stuff so what do you make yeah. the ffa's yeah. handling and what can we do mm-hmm. to make it better again i don't i wouldn't have wanted to work for the ffa back then when that sort of stuff was happening because uh, i won't go into it here but some of the stuff that some of the rbb were doing mm. it's like if i was a cop I'd pull you up too. They didn't do the right thing when it comes to giving the people who'd been dragged out of the ground or identified the chance to defend themselves from being banned from games. I thought that was completely wrong. Mm. But, you know, I used to uh, call games for ABC TV and radio and for two hours before the game, right when we got into the commentary box, we would see... Um, the police and sniffer dogs going up and down the seats in the RBB, the red and black block, looking for flares because you knew that sometime in that game there was going to be a flare come out and they just wanted to make sure. And if, after the game, I don't know why I'm telling you this, but I'm going to be honest, after the game, the number of seats that were broken because the whoever it was in the RBB would rip them out and break them or whatever. I'm on their side, believe it or not, the RBB, because we have never seen an atmosphere like this ever in this country, no matter what sport you want to talk about. But you pay the price by idiots. And there's only however many of them, half a dozen, whatever, but they're the ones that smash it for everyone. So when it comes to the FFA and the way they handle it, some right. Most right, some wrong. Yeah, like oh, I went to the – I'm a big Melbourne Victory fan. I went to the – what year was it? 2015 Grand Final, uh, Amy oh, Parking yeah. at Sydney, and that yeah. was kind of just before the active support kind of died for the North yeah. Terrace just went away for Victory. Yeah. And that was – the best atmosphere I've been to at any sporting event ever. Like I've I've been to a game at uh, the Camp Nou in Barcelona and yeah. matches that. I've been to Liverpool, Arsenal, Anfield. Better than that. Yeah. Then, then a couple of years later, um, I went to I've been, been to on a couple of away trips. Went up to Sydney and Newcastle for the semi final and grand final victory a couple of seasons ago. Oh, and yeah. yeah. It, like it, like away trips, great, of course, yeah. but it's. Just the way the media's portrayed football fans and yeah. the following uh, police crackdown on that kind of stuff. It's yeah. just oh, it's, like what? Why would you want to go as a fan when you yeah. just you've got more cops and fans oh, in the yeah. away end? A hundred percent. I'm an AFL. I'm an AFL fan. But, yeah. mate, soccer fans get such a hard time. Like, so today, so I don't know if you saw, but during the AFL grand final, there was streakers that they. Like went and kicked a goal on the ground and stopped the game. That they went to um, the magistrate today in um, Queensland, and all they got was a seven hundred and fifty dollar fine. That was it mm-hmm. for streaking at the biggest day of the year. That's all they got. Like, wow, that's five grand in Sydney. I know straight away. They actually put it up yeah. on the scoreboard. Yeah, that's, that's what they put up normally as well. But the yeah. magistrate only fined them seven hundred and fifty dollars. Wow, each like yeah. It's, it's just wrong. Uh, you know what? If you put yourself in one camp or the other, I think we can all see and 
both sides of the coin. Do you know what I mean? I totally agree. We need an active support, mm. but we need an active support that is not going to destroy um, yeah. seating, yeah. make it so uncomfortable <laughs> for people. Because RBB, I don't know whether you remember this, Harper. Well, you would because you've done your research. Exactly marching right. down Victoria Avenue in Parramatta en masse singing all the way down. I don't know how far they walked, but it was amazing. Yeah, but yeah. but there was just one idiot who threw a brick or something, you know, and you didn't know who it was because there was so many marching down the street. Yeah. That's the person that has completely destroyed it. So what happens if it hit you in the head? You're having a coffee there. Mm in Church Street, wherever, and you get hit by a brick because it's a tough one. It really is. I agree. And um, I was just going to say, Paul, you painted a very vivid, vivid picture there and I appreciate that. I really felt within that moment being on Church Street, so thanks for that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was look up some videos, Lockie, uh, RBB marches to the game because some of the atmospheres that uh, Red and Black Block had at games at Pertec Stadium f- five or six years ago, just yeah. amazing, like the whole place is bouncing, like I said before. Yeah. Have you got a team you support in the A-League, Paul? Yeah, Melbourne Victory, but I live in the northwest of Sydney and when the Wanderers started and created that thing we'd never, ever seen before when it wasn't about Greeks versus Massos, then I thought, I want to be a part of this. I really do. And I got I got such a buzz, not just because they won the Asian Cup or the Asian Champions League, but because they would pull a full house to every single game they played at home. And the whole, the thing that really impressed me was the whole crowd, every single Western Sydney Wanderers supporter sang the same song at the same time. Mm. And you don't find many places in the world where everybody sings that. And it was only a chant, but everybody sang it because we'd never seen this before. Um, but just for those who might have been to the Wanderers games, the RB, RBB sing, who do you sing for? And the whole stadium yeah. sing, we sing for Wanderers. Have you ever been there when, to hear that? I haven't. Oh, I haven't been there, but I've seen it on TV, of course. And Of course I've you have, Harper, to... on top of your research. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and, like, I've been to games with – there was one game where probably 4,000 away Wanderers fans turned up to Amy Park. Um, yeah. And it was amazing. I, I sat just next to the away end and it, it was, yeah, amazing oh. atmosphere they bring to all the – well, not anymore so much, but amazing atmosphere yeah. they bring yeah, to all I'm, the games. Yeah, I'm just sitting here sort of getting goosebumps. You know, I haven't been in a crowd since last year due to COVID <laughs> and it just really makes me miss that amazing atmosphere. Yeah. Like. Hopefully next year or Boxing Day even, I can finally yeah. be in a cra- sit here a crowd at a yeah. live sporting event. It would be amazing. Yeah. You know, there was um, Debbie Spillane. She's an absolute a pioneer of, of journalism. She works for the – or she did work for the ABC. She's retired now. But she was one of the girls that was invited into a rugby league dressing room to do interviews the first ever, like she's broke ground that you wouldn't even dream about a girl doing in a high-contact male sport like that. And she was doing the grand final. It might have been against the Melbourne victory and it was at the Sydney Football Stadium and she was doing the sideline commentary. So you had the main commentator, then me, and then she was down on the, the, the line 
And she said, I've been to so many grand finals of so many different codes, but I've never heard anything like this. And I, I've never forgot that. That just reflects how big it was, how new it was back then. But everything comes to an end, doesn't it? Well, mm. tempers down a little bit. Yeah, I guess, yeah, moving on. So I'd like to talk about your international career. So you made your first uh, game representing Australia B for the first time against Tasmania in 1984. So it's a two-part question. Just what, how was that like, I guess, getting the Australian call up? And the second part would be, did you swim to Tasmania? Is that how you got <laughs> to the game? <laughs> I like it. I like it a lot. Good on you, Lockie. I love that. Um, uh, second answer, no. Uh, flew, believe it or not. Had to pay for our own fares because there was no money back in the day. But, no, I, I exaggerate a little bit. <laughs> I I can't remember too much about that trip. I think we went to Tassie, actually. Um, I was shocked. It was in the B team. We never saw the A team, the likes of John Cosmina and, you know, all these big boys, Steve O'Connor. We never saw them. We were, a, I guess, we we're yeah, second fiddle. But we went... Overseas, even if it was just to Tassie. <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't know how I felt. I met somebody the other day who somebody said that he was there, he was playing and marked me out of the game. And that's probably true <laughs> because I can't remember for the life of me. Yeah. Um, so I do remember the game against uh, Czechoslovakia, as it was in 86, mm. but yeah. I can't remember much about... Tell us about your proper debut against Czechoslovakia. I think that's a more yeah. important one. I just wanted to get a cheap gag in there, to be honest, about Tasmania. <laughs> <laughs> you are such a card. <laughs> and you were t- 24, so that's yeah. fairly old to get a debut, considering you've got 84 caps. Uh, yeah. just over, like starting when you were 24, it's a whole lot of caps starting so late. Yeah, you're right, Harper, absolutely. And, and that, I use that with my stories now when I'm visiting schools or corporates. I say it's never too late. You know, I didn't get my first cap till I was 23 against the Czech or Czechoslovakia as it was then. All these kids now have been, if they're not on a career path at 12, 13, 14, definitely 15, then they are really going to struggle to make it. Do you know what I mean? There's always going to be one that somebody will pick up on, but generally that's the feel that people get you, now. That's you why they any like youth, You hadn't done any yeah, like youth soccer or representing Victoria much, had you in your youth. This was sort of, I guess, your first real representative level. I might have played once for Victoria, but I can't remember who it was against and nobody was there, so I didn't really consider that. Anything particularly special? I never went to the Institute of Sport. 23 was the first time. And you know how I got on the ground? I just had, we went, had a camp and I was lucky enough to be selected um, out of the Sydney, I think it was Brit- Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne and Adelaide players. And I was sitting on the bench and Kenny Murphy was playing in the middle of the park and did his knee. And that's when Frank Carroll went, Wade, on you go. Yeah. If he hadn't have done his knee, I tell you what, I might never have got on. So you just have to be in the right place at the right time, but you've got to work hard to be there. Yeah, um, exactly. But that, that debut against Czechoslovakia, bit of a um, small question, but was there much of a crowd there at all or just like a few thousand or even a few hundred? Small yeah. friendly game, three-part yeah. three series, yeah. 
Yeah, no, I reckon there would be a few thousand. Uh, when yeah. I've seen the, the shot, the one shot of the one touch, because remember I went on as a substitute with about yeah. 10 minutes to go. Uh, you can see the crowd and it's pretty full. And at Olympic Park back in the day, there were no seats. It was all terracing on that side of the ground, which made it great for supporters to be packed in and singing. And so based on a couple of those photographs, there was a, there was a few thousand there. So, yeah, yeah I, I don't remember the atmosphere, though. I was just so nervous because I went with my boots, didn't have my shin pads on because I'm thinking, this is great. I'll sit here and watch an international from the bench. That's great. And then he got hurt and I went, oh, oh what? <laughs> got to go on. What do I do? Um, uh, you panic. That's what you do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but so obviously um, – Australia's qualified for the World Cup um, many times. Now, uh, what is it, four in a row now? But yeah. uh, back in your day, it was bloody tough to get there, hey? And um, 1990, I was having a look at the um, the old Wikipedia page for the qualifying tournament, yeah. and Israel was uh, con- considered part of Oceania. It was some political yeah. stuff, I guess. Yeah. So, And you didn't get through even to the, um, the playoff because of no. Israel. So yeah. quick word on that tournament, the qualifying yeah, tournament. Yeah, it was very difficult. We had to win against the Solomon Islands, Tahiti, Fiji, I think American Samoa in those days, playing them home and away, then New Zealand, and then we had to play Israel. I bugger if I know why FIFA made us do that, but that's a pretty intimidating place to go in a World Cup qualifier. Really? They don't give you the best training facilities at all. Uh, it might be different now, but back in the day, it was in 89. That was a tough place, a scary place at times to go. Um, but, yeah, that's just what we had to do. And we, we got a good result over there, came back here. We got beat 1-0. We should have qualified for that World Cup. We just – and then Frank Arrott went nuts. Oh, you haven't played 90 minutes and all that. He's pointing to his watch, <laughs> the, uh, being done by the referee, all those excuses. But you know what? They deserve to go through. I'm not sure whether – Israel played the fifth best team in South America and made it anyway, but we didn't get past Israel. We yeah. did when we played the um, for the 88 Olympic Games. We knocked them off there to get to the Olympic Games, but we didn't do it the next year um, in '89. So yeah, yeah. weird yeah. way to get to the World Cup. What was so that like going to the Olympic Games? Just quickly, actually. Yeah. Uh, Seoul 88, I believe. Yeah. So, like, because the Olympic Games aren't considered the biggest tournament uh, in football, but no. what, what was the perception of them like back then? Because I know it's just an under 23 thing now. Was it like that then as well? No, it wasn't. We had Romario and uh, Mikhailachenko for the USSR when it was the Soviet Union. Romario, it was just, it was only about that big, but he, we played them twice or three times. He scored one goal in the first game, two in the second, three in the third, and the third one was at the Olympic Games. They beat us 3-0. So there were some big stars there, really big stars. So to to be in that competition and see these world-class footballers was just an amazing experience. We got knocked out in the first week. Boy, did we party after that. <laughs> Olympic Village, a lot of fun. We, yeah, because oh. we could. <laughs> Nobody knew us, so we could yeah. do anything. But one thing Part we did exactly. Yeah, 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 exactly. We didn't get paid. Uh, I think we got 
three hundred a win, two hundred a draw, and a hundred dollars if we lost. And um, did you did you yeah, take Val over? Did... did you take Val over to the Olympics? <laughs> uh, no, uh, which is probably a good thing when in the second week of the Olympic Games. <laughs> now I exaggerate, right? We would we would tell everybody what we did. It wasn't yeah. embarrassing at all for for us or or the country. But we were out late. And we were coming home when athletes were going out to do their warm-up. Yeah. Let me just say that. But it was we followed every other team. Uh, we went to the women's basketball. I can't remember who they were playing. But we started singing, and I think the Socceroos were the first to sing it. I don't know. But we were singing Aussie, 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 oi, 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 at a, almost an empty stadium where the – the girls were playing. I think it might have been the Soviet Union. They got beat by two points and apparently they were in the dressing room in tears because of the support we'd had and they'd lost. They'd lost for themselves, they'd lost for Australia, they'd lost for us and it just became too much for them. But we followed all these Aussie teams wherever we could. So, yeah, and in 1993, you uh, you played on Maradona. Now, I'd love to talk a little bit, bit about that because you obviously you got the opportunity to man-mark him. You were the captain of the team at the time. Um, all right, just tell us a little bit about that, especially like Maradona because obviously I was born in 98 and Har- Harper um, a couple of years after me. I don't think people in our generation actually truly appreciate how much of a superstar Maradona was, not just in soccer but throughout the world. He's one of the most well-known names in sports, which is a little bit forgotten. So maybe talk talk a bit about that as well, please. Yeah. Yeah. All you got to do is YouTube Maradona and you see mm. what – how did he do that? On the right-hand side, he's crossing, he's going that way, he's crossing the ball there. Now, if you picture it, you swing your right foot to get the ball over, don't you? He stood on his right foot, put his left foot round and kicked it that way. That it, it, We would do cruciate ligaments, we'd do groins, but that's how good he was, that's how confident he was. When I played against him, he wasn't his best. He'd just come back. It wasn't the 86 World Cup Maradona. Let me tell you that for a start. But, um, yeah, standing in the, the the tunnel at the Sydney Football Stadium and he's standing there and I'm thinking, geez, you're not very big at all. <laughs> Whoa. But you look so strong to me. And I was thinking the whole time as I'm looking at the crowd and listening to the crowd and the colour, the noise was just amazing, but they were all there to watch him. And fortunately for me, Eddie Thompson, who was the coach, God bless him, he's no longer with us, but he said, watch these last two games that he played. Now, by watching those two games, I, I went from this, I'm Mark and Maradona, I'll never be able to do that. How I just play for South Melbourne Hellas, I'm never... From that to, I don't know whether I can beat you, but I'm as prepared as I can be to try. And I've never forgotten that. Um, yeah, he didn't score a goal. Well done me. Tick. <laughs> but the number of times he embarrassed me, he crossed the ball for them to score in Sydney. Uh, there was a couple of times where I went, he's got to be here somewhere. And there he was, 10 yards away, gone. With one touch, he completely destroyed three players and got there to get it back. Hey, mate, yeah. You stopped him from scoring. That's the important thing. Still, still has donuts it, in the stat sheet. 
exactly right. Absolutely, Lockie. Absolutely. Yeah, when I was having a read a couple of weeks ago, uh, just the day after he passed away, I think, uh, talking about that uh, game in Sydney, uh, unfortunately you guys ended up losing that two-legged playoff. But, um, yeah, unfortunately the Alex Tobin own goal, you were yeah. so close, one one goal away from beating the uh, World Cup champions from seven years earlier. Yeah. Uh, and and yeah, they had a so lot of pressure on them, didn't they? Argentina, if they lost to Australia, they would have had ridiculous pressure from, yeah. like, from everybody, Absolutely. I guess, back home. Yeah, yeah. And that's why Eddie Thompson, the coach, said, I want to play him here. I want to get a good result here with our crowd and knowing that the preparation was going to be done in Australia uh, to have all those players there, familiar hotels, training grounds, food, you name it. Let's get a result here and go over there and scare the living daylights out of them. Well, when we got there, their president in an interview said, if we lose to Australia tomorrow, there will be a national day of mourning. It was like, (laughs) wow, they're under a little bit of pressure. And they're probably used to it because they play for their country and that's probably the pressure they're under all the time. But for us, that would have scared the living daylights out of us. So we went in there thinking, we got nothing to lose here. And you're right, Alex Tobin did score that goal. I think Batistuta had a shot at goal, it came off his foot over Robbie Zabika and into the back of the net. The boys, the noise was amazing. Paper, tons of paper torn up, came cascading down off the top of the stand. You know, you could almost not see the touchline. There's that much paper. And from that moment on, they never stopped singing. Um, I will say, take, though, I take scored us a goal. through the goal, mate. I, I know, want to hear right? all about it. Um, <laughs> no, let me talk you through the goal. The ball came in. I took it on my chest. I flicked it over Maradona. I've taken a No. It hit me on the side of the head. I went like that. It hit me there. went that way. And it was in the back of the net. And a miserable assistant referee had his flag up. Oh, no. Imagine that. Imagine me scoring an equaliser. Oh. Yeah. I hope Val had a word to that assistant referee after the game. (laughs) (laughs) No, but you know what? I must tell you, uh, all jokes aside, I I just laugh about that. I was about, what, a yard offside. It wasn't as if it was close. (laughs) The assistant referee got it spot on. Um, After the game, it was one Aussie flag on the far side from the, the tunnel and a few of us said, why don't we go and applaud that Aussie flag? Like there's... 80,000 Argentinians booing our national anthem, really giving it to us. And so we went over and we start applauding. That's great. Thanks very much for coming. The whole side of the stadium started applauding us. It's like, wow. And that's we said, right, let's go the other side. So we went to the other side and we applauded them too. And after the game, it, I don't know, it was just we were just taking the mickey, to tell you the truth. But they thought that we were saying to them, congratulations on making the World Cup. After the game, somebody gave Raul Blanco his, his watch, said, I'd like you to take my watch. And Raul said, oh, it's all right, I don't need your watch. He said, no, no, you have taught us humility tonight. We are not, we are arrogant people. And you've taught us how to be humble by going across and and applauding ours as a crowd. He didn't know why we did it, 
But I thought, yeah, you know what? Maybe we did teach them, but for somebody to do that, I want you to have my watch because you've taught us humility. That is, uh, that was a big point. Yeah. Really big. That's pretty amazing. And is also true that you also received something after that game, Maradona's match jersey. Is that correct? Yeah. Oh, no, I didn't get the one. You know what? Uh, I didn't get the one in Argentina, but geez, I chased him. I, I was trying to drag it off his back for an hour and a half and the game finished and I'm thinking, I'm going to go and get another Maradona shirt. Anyway, I'm just walking very quickly towards Maradona who'd been surrounded by 50 people um, and I crossed paths with Fernando Redondo who played for Real Madrid and is massive. He's a big boy and he walked across me and he said in broken English, do you want to swap? And I went, oh, no, it's all right. I'm going for Maradona's. And I, I got to Maradona. I said, you know, do you want to swap? And he's gone, no, Fidel Castro. And I went, what? And then I turned around. I went, Fernando, Fernando, is there, do you want to swap now? Shall we swap? Oh, the look on Redondo's face was he told me where to go in no uncertain terms. So, yeah. I missed out on the one over there, but that would have been nice. Yeah, and like Maradona didn't have too much of an impact in that World Cup that he eventually qualified for because no. a bit of a ban. But what what's it like? Obviously, you're in a couple of World Cup qualifying campaigns and uh, missing out on '94 as the captain. What what's it like? Did you still take a keen interest, like just as much as you would as a fan, or is it like, oh, we should have been there? Like, yeah, what? no, you know what. Uh, on that night, yeah, it, it was an own goal and we were really close, but, gee, we had to do some defending that night. And Maradona just stepped it up a little bit and made it, me especially, and a lot of other players feel very ordinary. Uh, and I, I, he was still nowhere near his 86, um, Maradona. But after the game, I know there was a couple of players crying, Um because they'd, we'd worked hard for four years getting yeah. to this point. And some of them weren't going to play on for another World Cup. So that was it. That was our, our time in the national team gone. Mm. But when, the worst part, boys, is when you get back into the dressing room afterwards and everybody sits down and nobody says a word. Not a word. There is deathly silence because we all want to, we all want to talk about it, abuse the referees and the linesmen and blame everybody else. But what are you going to say that is going to make sense or make anyone laugh or it's going to be, you know, crying in our own milk or so no, it's horrible time. And then somebody like Arnie will say something stupid and everybody will relax and we'll laugh and we'll get disappointed and we'll go and get a shower. Uh, but apart from that, um, we tried, we'd done everything we could. So sitting there watching the World Cup, you never feel, oh, we should have been there and we were cheated. We, if we'd have got to the World Cup, that was like us winning it. Um, we didn't win it. So we moved on and we enjoyed watching the best. Did, did you know that was going to be your last? You played a bit like you were tied in 96, I think, just before that uh, infamous Iran game. But yeah. uh, did, did you know that uh, World Cup qualifying campaign was going to be your last full one at the time? Um, no, you don't think about that. You're still disappointed that you got knocked out and yeah. you're still 
reminiscing and that game against the Solomon Islands and that game against and and then you start there, well, why don't we go and have a shandy? Let's go and have a shandy. Uh, then you start thinking about that and, and the next morning you wake up and that's when you start to feel a little bit empty because it's like nobody cares anymore. Um, not that we needed anybody to, but it's like, I guess it's like high school students walking out of high school. Like, wow, I don't have to be on time. I don't have to wear my school uniform. I don't have to be at that class at that empty. Don't have to see that girl that rejected you at that last party. Correct. <laughs> Absolutely. But at least you had tried to get dialogue with her, but now she's not even there. It's a scenario like that. Nobody we're not the centre of attention like we have been for the last, well, however many weeks, months. Months we were uh, the centre of attention. And once that happened, nothing. So that was, uh, that was, yeah, it was, you've made you feel really empty. But it only happened the next morning when you wake up to the realisation that, wow, that's it. Yeah. Uh, I know Lockie's keen to get onto your, uh, some of your post-career stuff, but I've got to ask, one of the most famous nights in Australian football in history, 2005 against Uruguay, where were you that night? Yeah. I had a little seat where John Aloisi was going nuts. And uh, I was there, I was on the side, the far side where um, there were two or three ch- is it Rakoba? No. The Rakoba? Did you play uh, for Uruguay? I'm sure. Yeah, I'm not sure, honestly, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Whoever it was missed a shot from about 18 yards. And we all sigh thinking, wow, this might be the night. He's missed one from 18 yards and he's he's one of the best strikers in the world. So and there was moments like that. And when it came to the penalty shootout, I remember looking at John Aloisi because it was right at the other end of the ground. And I remember watching him and I remember quite vividly all these people looking the other way because we had been to this moment so many times, maybe not a penalty, but how can we fail from here? And nobody could watch. Everyone was looking that way. And when he hit the back of the net, wow, I don't know where you were, boys, but we just... You would have been like three. (laughs) I was, two, I was two and a half. Uh, <laughs> All right. Oh. <laughs> Should remember what you were doing, Harps. Come on, mate. <laughs> oh, well, apparently I, I was in the, uh, the living room just out there with Dad and he was jumping up and down on the couch going absolutely bananas. But yeah. uh, he's told me that many times, but I don't remember it, unfortunately. Bit too young for that one. Yeah. You get, you get that. Um, the FFA did a, a documentary on it. Have you seen that? Yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Part of it, they show that penalty from different angles, and I don't just watch Aloisi and the the goalkeeper and the ball hitting the back. The crowd, they replay it six times, one after another, from different angles, and I look at the crowd thinking, thirty-two years we'd waited for that moment. You know, you mentioned that at the start of this little chat here. The cr- we went absolutely nuts. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, I remember we had um, Simon Hill, the main commentator for that game, uh, on yeah. 
one of the early episodes, episode six or something, go check it out if you're listening. Not 100% sure episode six, but one of the early episodes. And he, he was just talking about Craig Foster, obviously, that <laughs> iconic call from both of them. And Simon Hill was trying to be cool, calm, and collected. Craig Foster was going bananas. Like, it, he was just um, screaming, Johnny Warren, Johnny Warren. Yeah, was, yeah. 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 Lockie, do you yeah. know about that call? Yeah, yeah, oh, it's embarrassing. Like when I do, um, I show a clip very short of that goal and the reaction of uh, Simon and and Foz, and it's embarrassing. Foz, shut up and let him do his job. That was the moment for thirty-two years, and you've just screamed right over the top of him. And good on Simon for holding it all together. Professional uh, operator. When Schwarzer made a save to his left, I think Foz said it's one of the most important saves in Australian history. And then he went, no, no, one of the most important. It's as almost as if Simon Hill had just rolled his eyes and gone, oh, please. You know, but he was adamant that it's Mark Schwarzer who won us that penalty shootout. John Aloisi did that much at the end but it's Schwartz's acrobatics, mm. that willingness to stand still and stare the penalty taker right in the eye and don't move until he's kicked it. And so that's what he said. He said, uh, I could have dived one way, but at that level, at goal, uh, players at that level work out that once you've dived that way, just pass it the other. He said, no, nah, I stood there for as long as I could. Hero. Mate, I don't want to embarrass myself. I actually don't know this moment. I'm not a massive soccer fan. So oh, I'll, go, true, I'll right? go, I'll jump on YouTube. Of course, yeah. after what, finishing off the already five hours of Paul Wade highlights I've watched, um, I'll, I'll find a little bit of time to watch that. But no, yeah. mate, that's no, a, jump, it's an amazing jump, moment, mate. You've, you've, paint, you've painted it well with words, mate. You really are a poet. Um, so thanks so much for that, Paul. I appreciate it. But something that I'd love to talk about also just after that argentinian um game you were diagnosed with epilepsy so talk a little bit about that diagnosis and because you'd been playing your whole career with it and you still continued to play with it without telling really anybody but close friends so talk a little bit were you surprised with the diagnosis and how did you deal with that yeah i uh, i was shocked because i'd been having mild seizures all my life but i didn't know that's what they were and then to be told after collapsing in front of a physiotherapist just before we played Argentina over there, they said, go and see a neurologist. So the tests came back that I had uh, epilepsy. So now I'm having, now I know what I was feeling. Wow, that's why I felt like that. I was actually having seizures. So it's like... So what, what were those mild? Gonna, what were those mild seizures like? Like, give a little bit more detail, I guess. Yeah, that. they were. I uh, for thirty. It only lasted thirty seconds. I felt sick, hot, dizzy, and lonely. Weird, right? But if you mix all those emotions up, that's how I felt for thirty seconds. Anytime, anywhere, didn't matter. Uh, but you know what? Back in the day, it was like suck it up. No, but never let them know you're that's, hurt. That's, that's the Australian, that's a real Australian attitude. Just get up and get on with it. Absolutely. That's the way your dad brought you up. I'd say, Dad, I've hurt my leg or I'd hurt my arm. And he'd it's say, well, broken. I've, yeah, yeah, I've got a bone in my leg now. Get on with it. Oh, thanks, Dad. But that was the, 
just shut up and don't tell anyone. Yeah. Why would you? How embarrassing. And as I got older, it was I don't want to tell anyone because they might think it's my epilepsy that's not allowing me to be the best I could as a footballer. So mm. shut up and don't tell anyone. And then I got caught on Channel 7 uh, having a seizure and all of you knew about it. But the, the amazing thing was the number of people that wanted to help. Were you nervous about it, about like when everybody found out? Obviously, um, you got a lot of positive reactions, but after it happened, or you weren't too worried at that stage? Uh, yeah, good question. I don't think I thought about the consequences because um, other than when I got back to the OB van, the director, who also knew, um, he said, I think you've had a seizure. And I thought, oh, that's what's happened because it all happened live on TV, me and interviewing Paul Ocon. That's where it happened. And I didn't, I didn't feel I was having a seizure, but I, I look at the vision now and my voice is distorted and all these people are going, geez, what happened there? Well, I had no idea. I didn't know. So it wasn't until I got back to the OB van, the director said, yeah, you've had a, a seizure. I thought, oh, no, now I'm going to lose my job. But it was the same director who said, you idiot, if you'd have told us, we could have sh- cut to a shot of the crowd, turned your microphone off. We could do anything to help you out. So I'd lived with that fear of, on that stigma of, wow, you're weird and you don't know what's happening to you, but don't tell anyone. And all I had to do was share it. And people were willing to help me. They took me to training sessions and games you know, as a commentator. Was it a relief for, every, for people to know? What was that? Was it a relief for people to know? Yeah, 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 absolutely. In fact, Mike Cockrell, God bless him as well, he's no longer with us, uh, wrote for the Sydney Morning Herald, was our number one journalist for decades. He said, I want to write a story about this because we used to commentate together. And I said, yeah, that would be great if you could. He said, let's get the facts out there before the innuendo and all the little rumours start. So he wrote a story and it made me feel a lot better because you all knew the facts because I told you absolutely everything or told him absolutely everything and he wrote the, the perfect story to disclose my disorder. So, yeah, it was, um, it was a time that I'd rather forget. But, boys, I use those stories now. To, to motivate people that, geez, if I can do what I do, having this brain, part of my brain removed, you can do anything you like. Yeah, because you've got, you're involved in schools and stuff now and school programs, is that correct? Yeah, I work with kids who, who are year 9, 10, 11, 12. They have all sorts of issues, as you can well understand. They don't have to know football, like football, uh, but it's the life skill, the story behind it, like Mark and Maradona and dealing with anxiety or dealing with the, the stress of having brain surgery and how to recover from that and still work in the media. Yeah, brain still- surgery. Like, what did you actually have done? I'm really intrigued by yeah. that. You can see, I don't know whether you can see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the good, yeah, the good thing is that... Um, yeah, I am going bald, so I can show the scar. They cut me from there to there, pulled the front of my face down, took out part of my front temporal lobe the size of two matchboxes and stitched me back up again, but it got infected right there. 
So I had to go back into hospital, get the infected bone out, and then months later have this steel plate put in in the hole in my head. So I spent five months in hospital on a drip. Uh, But, you know, as I tell everyone, the hero is my wife. Val's the hero in all of this because she was the one who had to look after the three girls and get a job and make sure the kids were looked after when they got home and worry about whether her husband was going to die. You know, what a strong woman. Yeah. What a strong woman that is. So I'm sitting in hospital. I've got a big fat Cuban cigar. You know, my meals are delivered. I've got a great bed. Yeah, nah, she's the hero. I feel like, I feel like in a lot of times, like obviously, when somebody's sick, they forget about the partner because the partner suffers just as much as that person. Like everybody's exactly. worrying about you, but then sometimes they forget about Paul Val, who's doing all this and as well as dealing with the grief of what you're going through. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, I I have so much respect for single parents. But when you add the fact that your husband's mothers to take them after school and give them something to eat or help them with their homework while she sweated in hospital while I was on a drip. So, yeah, it takes more than one person, but that, gee, that person has to be strong. And we're all going to be tested, right, boys? You probably haven't had your test, but it will come. And you will pass, but you'll need somebody else to help you. Yeah, how, how did you deal with your like all that anxiety and stuff you were talking about? Obviously, big motivational speaker now in schools and all kinds of stuff. But how, how did you deal with your mental health to pass through that challenge, like you mentioned? Yeah, it's it's funny. I just did what I did, but then you, I've been reading up on what psychologists look at with anxiety and what they've written down fits what happened to me. And I just lived with that anxiety and did what I did, probably because of that old-fashioned never let them know you're hurt, but they've all been written up now. So if you, I just follow that pattern. I think they call it, well, I know they call it, it's ABC, the activating event, the belief, and the consequences. And you follow that, well, get it, everyone who's uh, watching or listening, uh, look it all up. And I lived that and got through it. And now I think I can put what happened to me into words based on facts and make it make sense. And that's the beauty of what has happened to me, uh, that I actually earn a living out of telling that story and hopefully inspiring one or two people to tell someone if they're struggling, whatever. Tell somebody. They won't be able to solve your anxiety, but just the fact that that somebody else knows is so important. So, so important. Mate, I think, yeah, it's a great attitude to have and there's just so many lessons in there. And just from me hearing that, um, I can relate to some of that, mate, and I really appreciate you telling us that, mate. That was mm. amazing. And we've got one final question before we widen the mood a bit and get to our world-famous quiz, and it's just do you have any life philosophy, just any little thing that you like to word or quote that you like to live by? Yeah, there's a couple. Uh, I've always liked the words will tell me what you think, actions will tell me what you believe. 
I like that that's one. That's good, that. Yeah. yeah that's a, I that's like a that cracker. one. And the other one, and, and I'm, this is my opinion, because uh, leadership is the example you set and the culture you create. And by culture, I've, I've always thought of three things. I've always thought of humility, actually four, humility, respect, honesty, and loyalty. For, to me, four very important ingredients to make up a great culture. It was basically humility, respect, honesty, and loyalty. Loyalty to your team, loyalty to your family and your friends, that can be easily broken. When all the pressure of all the others comes under the microscope, loyalty is the one thing that can break up a a team. Yeah, uh, bloody inspirational, the whole story you've given. And that, that life philosophy, that's something that all of our listeners can kind of hopefully bring into their lives. And, and learn a little bit from. And, yeah, mm. learn learn from it because it's just a great mm. view on life that you have there. Um, so yeah. good on you for yeah. that, mate. Thank um, you. You can steal those. I stole them from somebody else. That's, I'm sure I did. That's okay, Paul. And yeah, now, cool. now I'll wipe the floor with you on the quiz, mate. No holds barred. <laughs> I know deep down, you, you didn't come on for the interview. You came on for what, what we know as the world-famous Where Do We Begin quiz we've got on this show. So, oh, really? Yes, indeed. Right, so, here we go. I, I've, got, <laughs> I've got five questions, and go. they're all very vaguely related to you and your career, Paul. So, oh, uh, well, you're going to get it wrong. <laughs> well, very, very vaguely. It's in a very loose sense, I uh, say they're related. But I'm going to be pitting you against Lockie. So I've got these five questions. Uh, right. Jeez, two of the great minds one. going at it here. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's the new Isaac uh, Newton and Albert Einstein. So uh, your name's your buzzer. I'm going to start off with question one. So am I correct in saying your birthday's March 20, Paul? Do I push the button? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, see, no see that little red one. one down the bottom that says leave, that's your buzzer. Yeah, please. Yeah. Um, do you sort of go like pull and then you yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But your like birthday 20th, March 20, yeah? 20th, 20th of March. 20th. 20th of March. Okay, perfect. Source is uh, right so, again. So I get a point. <laughs> no point for that one just yet. But uh, <laughs> so a few famous things have happened on March 20, actually. Uh, a few famous birthdays, including uh, one of our old guests, Lockie, Phil Anderson, was born on March 20th. But uh, what also happened on March 20th in 1956 was uh, Tunisia gained independence from France. So uh, this was a bit right. easier than a typical question. Right. But can you tell me, uh, on which continent is Tunisia located? Lockie. Lockie. Oh, that's right. Uh, which continent? Europe? Europe is incorrect. <laughs> Paul, do you want to have a crack? Oh. Wow. Uh, Eurasia. Eurasia Just is also incorrect. That in there. Because Tunisia Eurasia. is the continent of Africa. Oh, there you go. Learn something new every day. Oh, really? Wow. That's a good one. I like that. Yeah, I thought, yeah. I thought you guys might have known that's in, that's in North Africa, just bordered by yeah. Algeria and Libya. Right. Lockie's always yeah. asking me to make the questions a bit easier. Tr- try to, well, that yeah. wasn't much easier, mate. Buddy, on a, mate, I don't think oh. I've got one geography question right. 
<laughs> anyway, Paul's got all the flags behind him. Thought that might be a strong yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we'll Not a Tunisian flag, though, unfortunately, but I'll get one. I'll get one. Yeah, mate, on the wish list for Christmas. Anyway, question yeah. two. So I believe uh, you made your Socceroos debut on the 3rd of August 1986. Is that correct? Do you remember yes. that? Yes, okay, 3rd of August 1986. Oh. So on yes. that date... Uh, Madonna's Papa Don't Preach was just about to begin its six-week stint at the top of the Australian charts. So with over 40 million streams on Spotify, Papa Don't Preach is Madonna's 13th most streamed song on Spotify. Can you name wow. one song of hers that has more streams? Lockie. Lockie. Material Girl. Material Girl's absolutely correct. Oh, oh wow. Wow. Just give us a... Big fan of Madonna, Paul? Big fan of Madonna? No. Uh, That's surprising. You look like a Madonna fan. Yes. Uh, <laughs> no, it's more Cindy Lauper. Oh, <laughs> of course. <laughs> no idea. Red hair, you know, girls just want to have fun. You know that. Yeah. What a tune. What a tune. Anyway, yeah. question yeah. question three. So uh, Lockie's 1-0 up. Uh, when we move on to question three. So this is a closest to the pin question. So, of course, you played against a few World Cup winners, uh, including the great Diego Maradona, of course, and there have been 21 FIFA World Cups. Can you tell me, closest to the pin, how many players have been in a World Cup winning squad? A winning squad? Yeah, World Cup winning squad. Lucky. Wow. Lockie. Okay, so there's been 21 World Cups and there's normally yep. 23 to a squad, so a couple of two times. So, wait, what's 20 times? T- <laughs> uh, I'm going to go I'm gonna go 360. 360, okay. Paul, what's your guess? 359. <laughs> You're Paul a bad man. Paul has gone under and he's gone wrong because it's 445. Oh, <laughs> that's what you get, mate. That's what you get. Yeah. Go, no There's no friends in the quiz game, but gee whiz, I, I now know where we stand. Yeah, 2-0. Two 2-0, nil. Yeah, two two nil. exactly. Lock, Lockie's been training a bit after his 8-0 loss to Rowan Connolly last week, but uh, we move on to question four. So, uh, of course, 84 caps for the Socceroos, and uh, it takes 84 Earth years for uh, Uranus to orbit the sun just once. So can you tell me, what is the only planet in our solar system that takes longer to orbit the sun than Uranus? Lockie. Lockie. Uh, I'm going to say Neptune because it's the coldest planet. Neptune. Oh, actually, no, sorry, Neptune. not Neptune. Wait, is it correct? Neptune is correct. Oh. I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. I was. I, I had to take your first answer anyway. You've got the point. You're 3-0 mm. up. Are you two – you've been collaborating here, haven't you? <laughs> you've got on the blower and gone, right, wait, these are – come on, Lockie, you these are the <laughs> – um, yeah, make him look like a fool. Yep. Okay. See you, mate. <laughs> oh, mate, yeah, not, mate, not hard to make you look like a fool, Paul. Just kidding, oh. mate. Just kidding. <laughs> sorry, mate. I'm sorry. <laughs> you are not, you miserable so-and-so. <laughs> Here I am a guest and you've just humiliated me in front of the mate, whole world. Some politeness. Some manners to our guests would be very nice, Lockie. But I've got to say, Paul, we're up to the last question, but you're 3-0 down, but you're actually still in the game because our last Whoa. question is a who am I question. And in this question, uh, I'm going to go down from five points all the way down to one point with a series of clues uh, all leading to the person who I am. And once you've buzzed in, uh, you can't buzz in again until you get it wrong. 
so mm-hmm. until the other person gets it wrong, sorry. Uh, yeah. But we'll start with the five-point clue. Uh, you need four points to on this to win it outright, Paul. So for five points, I was born on the 18th of June, 1942, somewhere in England, to Jim and Mary. Jim's son. Uh, is that <laughs> your answer, Lockie? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> All right. You gave an answer. <laughs> uh, Lockie, did, did, didn't want to take any risks there. We'll move to four points. Uh, f- the f- four-point clue. At my peak, I was one of the most famous people in the world, and I'm now worth around $1.4 billion Aussie dollars. Whoa. $1.4 billion. Il- did you say Elaine? Um, Elaine? No, born to Jim and Mary in uh, and England Mary. in 1942. I'd like to be friends with them. Yeah, seems like a good Are they thing. still alive? Uh, yes, I can say they are still alive. Right. And they're worth $1.4 billion. Uh, Paul, do you mm. want to have a crack here to win it outright or should I move you on? You could always yeah. go to three no, and no, tie. No, I've got to go. I've got to go. No, you could always tie um, it at three. You, you, can tie, you can tie it at three and I'll give you a time nah, to make a question. No, nah, I'm going David Beckham. David Beckham was born about uh, 30 years later, I reckon, so it's absolutely incorrect. <laughs> I was <laughs> desperate. It was, you were close. You were close. I was desperate. <laughs> anyway, it's, Lockie's got a free hit here. But, oh, you know what, I'll just open it up to both of you since yeah. Lockie's won it. Uh, so both of you can have a guess. For three points, I had a wide tenor vocal range that spanned over four octaves and I'm also perhaps the most famous bassist of all time. Lockie? Whoa. Lockie. Sting. Sting is incorrect. Mm. Paul, do you want to have a crack? Yeah. Um, you if you get it here. Uh, yeah, uh, Paul McCartney. Paul McCartney is absolutely correct. Oh, no way. He's got it. He's, he's drawn it. It's three all. So for the second time in where do we begin quizzing history, we've got to get a tiebreaker question. Oh. oh, Harper, did you just, did you just message him in the Zoom chat, gave him the answer? <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't, mate, but we'll cut this little bit out because I've got to find myself a tiebreaker question. Uh, so, hold Jeez. on. Jeez, we do all the research and we come prepared, then you leave <laughs> us without the tiebreaker yeah. question. Yeah. Okay, here we go. Are we, are we ready, guys? I've got the tiebreaker question. Yeah. So, for the win, uh, this is the closest to the pin question. So, of course, the FIFA World Rankings uh, come out every uh, month or so, I believe. Can you tell me where Australia are ranked in the world? The Australian, the Socceroos, the men's team, where are they ranked in the world right now? Paul. Paul. 36. 36 is incorrect, but it's closest to the pin. So, Lockie, do you want to have a crack? Um, look, they're number one in my heart. That's what's most important. Uh, I'll go 35th. Oh, nice. <laughs> well, Paul went under before and got it wrong, and you've gone under this time and also got it wrong. Well, you didn't say it was under. They're, oh, right. Yeah. They're, they're 41st in the world. Oh, no. <laughs> so, Paul's come from behind and won it 4-3. How was that, Paul? Yeah. Monumental. <laughs> um, 
First of all, I'd like to thank my mum. She's uh, done a lot of work over the years. And Val, Val's been very important to me. Her support beside me has been wonderful. Uh, the kids might have moved out, but they've just been a real challenge and um, <laughs> made me the man I am now, frustrated, old, ugly, lots of wrinkles. Thanks, girls. But most of all, I'd like to thank Lockie and Harper for putting on a great show. Thank you, boys. Everybody who's watching, just give them both a big hand. Thank well you very much, Paul. Thanks very uh, much, I think, Paul. I think we'll leave it there because it has been a long one. So thank you very much for coming on, Paul Wade. No worries. Can I leave you with a dad joke? Yeah. Oh, go for it. Right. Somebody complimented me on my parking the other day. They put a little note on my windscreen. It said, parking, fine. I think we'll leave it there. Wow, how good was that? Paul Wade, what a fantastic footballer he was. What an inspirational story he has and what a great guest. And it was an honour, really, to have him on the podcast, eh? Oh, yeah, thanks so much, Paul, mate. Definitely learned a few good dad jokes to uh, tell our future kids. So thanks so much. We really appreciated it. And now I reckon, Harps, it's time to plug our socials. So you can find us on Facebook at Where Do We Begin? And you can find us on Instagram at WDWBpod. That's WDWB pod, and that's the same for our Twitter. Yeah, exactly. And uh, we would love you uh, to get in touch with us on any of those social media accounts and tell tell us what we're doing well, what we could improve, anything which would be hugely appreciated because we love our fans getting in touch with us. And if you could leave us a cheeky review on wherever you get your podcast, that would be great as well if you like us. Or even just uh, say to your mates, oh, go check out this podcast. Pretty cool. Where do we begin? Oh, how good is that show? Um, yeah, but... Uh, we usually have music in the end of the show. A uh, bit of a long one today, so we're going to leave that for next week. Uh, yeah, more music next week. Anything else to say, Lockie? Thanks so much for listening. Yeah, uh, great episode. Thanks for listening, guys. See you next week.